Well, we're going to take our Bibles this morning, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Well, that's a great time of worship, wasn't it? Man, I got to get your heart revved up. And you know, if you are, if you are asleep before that, you've got to know that you're awake right now, right? After all that. And uh, praise God for it. Listen, we know that uh, we have a lot of things to pray about. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, uh, praying with Ryan just a few moments ago. And I was thinking, you know, we, we really need to remember those that are going through freezing temperatures right now. Those of you, have you uh, maybe even know some people in Texas and other places. So let's bow for prayer right now. And uh, before we do that, in the quietness of this moment, would you ask God to speak to your heart this morning through the message? <clears throat> God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would take the word of God now and apply it to our life. Help it cl be clear and challenging in our life. Pray be life-changing for someone here. Pray for those, Lord, that are going through difficult times all the way across the country in the northern half especially, but also in Texas, many people without power and uh, just not prepared for that kind of weather. And so, Lord, I pray that you would protect life, and I pray, God, that you would bring them back to where they need to be even financially. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to look, and we've been looking at a series of messages on why not Jesus with the idea of being this. You know, you, you've tried a lot of things in life, and a lot of people that you've talked to about Christ, and they wonder about your life, why in the world would you follow Jesus? You know, one of the extreme examples, a couple of extreme examples maybe I could give you this morning that will really fit the passage uh, today is that I know of a guy that um, back in college, working his way through college, had a client, and uh, the client asked, well, what do you plan to do with the rest of your life? You're going you're gonna to be in this field? <clears throat> Felt like he was good at it. And uh, he said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm called to the ministry. And he said, what? It's like a just, just like a light went on within him. And he said, why in the world would you want to do that? He said, you, you have talents and you're good at this job and you could probably do a lot of other things. Why would you want to waste your life in the ministry? Well, this guy really had a good uh, opportunity to witness, but the question comes up, why would you do that? Another extreme example, even more than that, is a story told about Jim from Jim Simula's book, Fresh Power. And in this story, he tells about a missionary 100 years ago, 1921, a missionary by the name of David and Svea Flood, missionary couple that went from Sweden to Africa, a little village uh, in Africa, remote. Nobody had ever been there before uh, to preach the gospel. And they were joined there by another couple by, uh, uh, called the Ericsons, and uh, by the name of the Ericsons, and they were also some, from Sweden. Malaria hit the place, and they were not really, it didn't look like they were doing much good because the chief of the village would not allow them to even go into the village because he was afraid he was going to anger his gods. But he would allow one teenage boy to go out to them with food and supplies, what they had at least, um, about twice a week. And so during this time, Sevilla Flood the lady of the group, said that she wanted to do something. And so she was determined and began to pray for this young teenage boy and began to share Christ with him. And before long, he had come to know Christ. Not long after that, with all the malaria hitting the area, she also got malaria. And then she sort of got well from it. But then she got pregnant, had a baby, a little baby girl by the name of Ina. And two weeks after Ina was born, Svea Flood died on the mission field. Her husband, David, 
there by himself by now. The Erickson has long gone back and um, decided he was quitting. He was bitter. He was angry. Buried his wife right there in that little village or outside of that little village. Moved back to Sweden with his daughter. Gave her up for adoption to this American couple that was a missionary at that time and they were stationed briefly in Sweden. They came back to America, settled in the South Dakota area to pastor, and that's where Ina was raised. And her dad, who she all those years had never met, was in bitterness, already started another family by then, all the, down the road, but still in bitterness. You say, well, look, it doesn't make sense to me, and I'll finish that story in a minute, but it doesn't make sense to me that you would go to those links. Why would you do that? Why would the apostle Paul give up everything that he had in order to follow Jesus? Why Jesus? Well, the answer is very simple. Jesus makes the difference in everything. And because of that, we have a great, great and privileged high calling in Christ Jesus. I want us to look in the passage this morning and we find that this whole thing centered around a mystery a mystery that has been hidden from the ages. In fact, verse 26 says this, the mystery hidden of ages for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So whatever we have in Jesus Christ that makes it worth it, that makes the calling of God in our life worth it, that makes the sacrifices, the cost worth it, it's surrounded in this mystery. Now, Paul is struggling, as we know in this passage, because he'd never been to Colossae before, and he, now he's writing a letter from prison. Now, you can imagine, he feels a little bit uh, separated from them, and not only that, he feels a little, a little powerless as well. I mean, you can imagine, he's, all, all he can do is write a letter, and he's writing this letter knowing that this church is really struggling. They were really following the Lord at one time, and now false doctrine has seeped in, and we've gone over that already, because why not Jesus? Well, Jesus is the wisdom. He's the wisdom to lead this life. We went over, and we'll, we'll review that in just a moment, the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of man. Then we said last week that he is supreme above all things on the earth. But also, there's something else, and that is he makes a difference in our personal lives. Now, how does he do that? What is the cost? What is the mystery? Let's look at three things this morning. First of all, the cost of this mystery, the content of it, and then finally the calling of it. First, the cost. We read in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, Paul is saying this. Really kind of a mysterious statement, folks. I mean, it really is, it really is kind of like hard to understand why he would say and put something this way that I rejoice in my sufferings, filling up what was lacking in Christ. Because over here in chapter two, verses 13 and 14, he simply says that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for everybody. So what is he saying here? Well, in the original language, we can look at this and interpret it this way. Whatever happens to the Christian is really happening to Jesus Christ. If you remember when Paul was persecuting the Christians before he became a Christian, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, the Lord appeared to Paul when his name was Saul, and he said this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul's re uh, Saul's re answer, answer was very simple. Well, I'm not persecuting you at all. Who are you? I'm persecuting these people who are preaching this false gospel, this false religion about Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus was saying, as you are persecuting all these other people, all these Christians, you're really persecuting me. And Paul is saying, look, if Jesus were here, he would be going through the persecution and the sufferings that I am experiencing. But he's not here. He's in heaven. His body is no longer here. And so Christ is getting persecuted through me and through you. And he says, the sufferings, of course, we know have benefits in our life. I'm sure that these trials that Paul was going through constantly in life were always bringing him back to the Lord, always bringing him closer to the Lord. We're gonna to try to get closer to the Lord even today through an exercise called the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. It also, as we've shared with you before, builds character in your life. In fact, there's two things that really build the Christian life in you and in me, two things. One is an interior pressure, and then there's an exterior pressure. The interior pressure comes from the Bible, comes from the Word of God. We read the Bible, we say, wow, you know, I've never seen that before. Maybe you've read it a dozen times, a hundred times, and you come across it in the Bible, and you say, I've never seen that before. Wow, you know, and you're convicted. And change comes about in your life because of the interior pressure. Could be from reading, preaching, teaching. Then there's the exterior pressure. There's some things that only on the outside trials and suffering can really do to your life. They mature you in the Lord and they help you grow in, in Christ. Now, when we're talking about persecution, we're really not talking about much here in the United States. And, and really, we're, we are an anomaly to the rest of Christian church history. We are the ones that really aren't persecuted. Every other nation almost, besides Western civilization, even sometimes in Europe, we see persecution going on. In fact, we sort of compare it, we can compare it to the weather. I mean, I don't know about you, but we've been suffering through a real cold spell here. You know, in fact, I was looking at a picture on, on uh, Lime and uh, it showed a really cold, miserable day recently here in Florida. Let's, let's show that. There we go. As you can see, they actually have long sleeves on. It's probably down to 60 degrees, I bet. Man, that's cold, isn't it? And it's raining. Now you say, well, that's, that's terrible. Man, so we didn't move to Florida for that. We moved here for the sunshine, 88 degrees or something, right? We didn't, but what about what's going on up north? What about that? When you start comparing it to that, all of a sudden, hmm, we're not getting too bad at all, getting it too bad at all. Same way with persecution. We can say, well, we're getting persecuted here in the USA. You know, the media, uh, this thing, this thing, you know, you know the schools, whatever. They're, they're persecuting us. But would you rather be here being persecuted or say a missionary in Iran? You know, th there's a difference there. And we are an anomaly in the fact that we have not been persecuted the way others have been. But Paul was. Paul, in fact, over here in uh, 2 Corinthians, if I can just read these verses just for a moment. They won't be on your screen. I've kind of added them this morning. Paul said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, save one. There, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, the city, the wilderness, the country, danger of faults. I've been in toil. Over and over again, all through that passage, he mentions things that he's been through, but he says, it's worth it. How would it be worth it? How would it be worth it? He says, because of the mystery involved. What is that mystery? Well, let's look at the content real quickly. 
We said in verse 24 that he was really rejoicing in his sufferings because of the sake, for the sake of the church. He says, I become a minister according to the stewardship from God. And then verse 26, he talks about this mystery hidden from the ages, revealed to us, the saints, to them cho God chose to make known a great, great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you've heard cults maybe, false religions say, I know what the mystery is, and they'll make up something. And I, I had this experience one time, and someone back in college, when I was in college, they were witnessing to me from another religion, and they said, oh, it's, this is the mystery. And I said, no, that's not it right here. And I, I turned in Colossians. God tells us what the mystery is. As we look at this, what is a mystery? Well, it's something hidden. It's something hidden from the past that is now revealed. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 29 in the Old Testament says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mysteries in the Bible. There's a mystery of Christ's birth. You can see that in the Old Testament as, as clearly as the New Testament. Certainly there was a mystery of the resurrection. There's a mystery of the church, the Gentiles and the Jews. There's a mystery all about Israel's unbelief. But what is this mystery? He says, this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the presence, here's the message, the presence of God in both the Jew and the Gentile. Christ in you, he was preaching here to the church, city of Colossae filled with Gentile people. Some Jews, but mainly Gentiles. And he says, this is the mystery revealed to you, that you can have the Holy Spirit just like we have the Holy Spirit. Now in the Old Testament, you recall stories about David having the Holy Spirit and other prophets maybe having the Holy Spirit and other kings having the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them, anointed them and gave them great power. Here in the New Testament, from the day of Pentecost on, anyone who receives Jesus Christ into their heart, they receive the Holy Spirit in their life. That is rep who is representing Jesus Christ in us. And so the very moment that you and I receive Christ, we receive that hope in Christ. That's what is making the difference in our life. That makes all the difference in the world in our life. And he says, this is the hope of glory. Now, when we talk about hope, in the English language, we're talking about wishful thinking. This in the Bible is faith. This is the faith. The faith is, I know something's gonna happen in the future and I'm looking forward to it. And he says, I'm looking forward to the second coming, the hope of glory. I'm looking forward to the afterlife. I know that this life is not all there is. How do I know that? Because of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of our heart and it says it bears witness of Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know if I were to die right now this very moment, I would go to heaven. I know that two ways. One, the Bible says so. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's not just that, but it's the, the bearing of witness in my heart by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he is like an earnest, an earnest money, a down payment, like on a home. You make a down payment on the home, it's a promise of things to come. And usually it's a very small down payment. It's the same way. 
The Holy Spirit has made a down payment within us. He lives within us. That is the mystery of it all revealed now in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit can indwell the heart of the Jew and dwell the heart of the Gentile as well. We can all become one. And the Bible says in verse 24, for the sake of the body that is his church. This is the mystery of God. This is what he's revealing to us in this New Testament passage. And Paul says, look, it's worth it. It's worth it. When I have the Holy Spirit of God within me, it makes the difference. Therefore, there's a, a calling in my life. Let's look at that calling. It's to share this mystery with everyone. Notice what it says in verse 25. Again, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He says there's a calling here, and it's right there in that, in that one verse. He says there's a stewardship. Now, when we think about stewardship, we think about giving money. We think about finances. But stewardship is all, just everything in life. Everything that God has given you has been a trust given to you or given to me, whether it's a time, talent, treasure, everything's been given by God in order to use it for him. The Old Testament English word, English word, steward, really means manager. We would use the word manager today. And so a steward was a manager of another person's household or possessions. When you and I receive the Holy Spirit of God, we're given a trust. We're given tools to accomplish that trust. A stewardship of God that includes a calling in life a specific calling. He was called to the Gentiles. It even says in Romans eleven thirteen. now I'm, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. That was his calling. His calling was to bring the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. What word of God? The gospel. To make the gospel fully known specifically, as far as he was concerned, to the Gentile nation, to us, the non-Jews. Breaking out the gospel, opening up the gospel, that truth, that mystery of God to us. Now you say, well, what is, what is my stewardship? Well, obviously our stewardship, it says right here, is to make the word of God fully known. The calling of God in our life and the suffering that we go through is not about getting saved. Paul is never saying that here. Paul says, hey, you know, I suffered and because of that I'm saved. No, he says, I don't suffer to receive the gospel, but I am suffering to spread the gospel. Every single one of us are left here on this earth to share the same hope that we have with another person. Uh, last year we had a thing called Who's Your One? And, you know, pick out someone that you're praying for and hopefully you can be able to witness to and pray that you can witness to them this year, that kind of thing. Our stewardship is to reach out to other people. But there's, other, there's another type of ministry stewardship as well that has to do with the gospel. And it has to do with your specific calling to reach people for Christ in your giftedness. I love Rick Warren, his acrostic, when he's talking about searching for God's will for your life. He uses the acrostic shape. The S stands for spiritual gift. All of us have a spiritual gift. What is yours? It could be faith. It could be mercy. It could be preaching. It could be teaching. It could be exhortation. It could be giving. It could be faith. All kinds of different, 17 
different spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Which one is yours? Probably you have more than one. The very moment that you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside your heart. You inherit at that point a gift that you'd never had before. Then there's the H, stands for heart. Okay, maybe you have the gift of, I don't know, teaching. You have the gift of teaching. Teaching who? Well, I have a really burden for children. Well, that's your heart. I have, a, I have a real burden for adults. That's your heart. Wherever your heart lies, I have a real burden for the, the homeless. I have the gift of helps, service. I have a, I have a burden for the homeless. Well, that, that probably has something to do with the calling that God has in your life. Then the A stands for abilities. Those are tools that God has given to us at birth. The first time we were born, when we came into this world, what kind of abilities did you have? We had people up here uh, playing on instruments and singing, and that, that's an ability, that's a talent. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. <clears throat> I need some water, I think. I'll resist. Um, that's a talent that we have in our life. And he says here, first of all, he says, I want to proclaim. He says in verse 28, to him he, we proclaim warning everyone in teaching. Two things about preaching the word, he says. One is warning them of the things to come. And the second thing is to teach them the right way. Well, A stands for ability, P for personality. What kind of person? You know, you say, well, I'm real outgoing. Well, maybe you could be a greeter. I'm, your experiences, letter E, you say, well, I could never get saved. Look at all my past experiences, but you did get saved. You did invite Christ into your life. So how can God use those experiences? You see, you're a greeter coming in the door. What do you do? Well, you're probably going to have a bigger impact on our visitors than you do our members. And so what are you doing? You're having an impact on people that may not be, be Christians. They come to a church service like this, and you're praising and worship God, and they think, wow, he's got something I don't have. That's, that's one of the reasons why I got really dedicated to the Lord in college. I went to a, a college meeting with a college ministry, and man, I, I could tell they, they had something I wasn't experiencing. We're used as teachers, and what we do, we teach people in order to grow them up in the faith and then send them out to be witnesses in the world. And so it's our stewardship, and all of our stewardship, all of our talents center around either reaching people directly with the gospel of Jesus Christ or influencing them in such a way that they would want to reach others for Christ. It's the gospel message. What difference does the gospel message make? I mean, really, what difference does it make? Well, it's the difference, and I could quit right here. I'm not. I know you're hopeful, but I'm not. He's the difference between heaven and hell. He just is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Revelation 20, 15, if anyone not found written in, the name's not found written in the book of life, he's cast in a lake of fire. Do you believe these things? Do, do you believe them? But Jesus Christ, the difference between heaven and hell, Paul believed that. That was Paul's experience. And that was enough. It was enough for him to cost him his time, for his energies, for surrendering some of the 
the prestige that he used to have in life, and he had a lot of it, and probably the money that he had as well, is worth the cost because Jesus Christ is the difference between heaven and hell, but he's also the difference in wisdom. We talked about the wisdom of this world. Let me look at James once again. We'll look at it again next week as we get into this very specifically. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but it's earthly. That is, comes from the people, remember, of the past. Is natural, comes from your own mind, demonic. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom of God comes from God, and the wisdom of God comes from the Word of God. And the wisdom of this world comes from everything like germs off the street. All the philosophers, most of them, really, most of them that we're believing today did not believe in God at all. And their philosophy reeked of that. But we're believing some of those things today. And we said, don't you think we ought to at least scrutinize those things? Listen, when the Holy Spirit of God comes in, inside of your heart, you have an opportunity to tap into the wisdom of God and make the right decisions in life. Well, Jesus Christ makes a difference in how you live your life today. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. Don't you want to live that kind of life? Don't you want your neighbor to live that kind of life? For the bells and whistles to turn on, the lights to turn on, and for them to realize the preciousness of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, we're commanded. Here's the thing. We're, we're commanded to share this, and we don't often talk about this very often. It's, it's uncomfortable. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus said, Peace be, I live unto you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. We talk about the reason the Holy Spirit lives in our heart. You shall receive the Holy Spirit. When he has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Notice the proclamation. But then I want you to see the purpose behind it all. He's preaching something. But then in verses 28 and 29, it says this. We proclaim warning and everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom that purpose we may present everyone mature in Christ. The salvation begins the journey. We want to teach people. We want to invest in their life again so they can have the joy of the Lord and go out and spread that joy. Then we find the passion. Look in verse 29. For I toil struggling with all this energy that powerfully works within me. For I know you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have been seen and not seen me face to face. Notice the burden, the passion involved in his. Boy, don't you wish, you look at that and say, God, I wish I could have the passion of Paul. And then I have to ask myself the question, I hope you do too as well, then why, why don't we? I know it has something to do. The more you're persecuted and respond in a positive way, the more passion you're going to have. Okay, we understand circumstances are different. But why is it that we do not share our faith? Is it maybe a lack of love? That's the fruit of the Spirit. So we don't have the fruit of the Spirit actively growing in our life. We, we really don't. We look at a person and say, okay, Jesus Christ is the difference between heaven and hell, but it's, it's just not worth it to me to share with this person. I mean, they're probably rejected anyway, right? And not only that, but boy, that's, that's kind of hard to do. It's a sacrifice to do. It's a lot easier maybe to, to give somebody some money or it's a lot easier to, to argue something with somebody, maybe a, 
a, a religious or political issue, it's a whole lot easier to do that than it is to simply sit down and share them with a passionate heart how much you love Jesus and how much they can love him too. Oh, but it's not maybe that. Maybe it's fear. Well, that not that a lack of faith? God, I may not know what to say. And maybe that's just a lack of faith. Or perhaps it's the wrong beliefs. That's the struggle that the church was having here. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ was different between heaven and hell anymore, maybe. Or at least Christ did not count as much as they thought he did in life. Maybe it's a lack of love. Maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe it's a lack of joy. I think that's true in many people's lives. How can I share the love of Jesus with someone else when there's no joy in my heart, when I'm so burdened down with everything else that's going on in my life that I just don't want to export this? That's the reason, dear friend, that Paul said, I'm preaching the word fully known to you, and, I, and, and the end result the end result, I can present you as mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ means I can look past the circumstances in life and still have the joy of the Lord in my heart. That's why we disciple here. That's why our mission statement rings true in many of your lives to, to teach you to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus because when you were doing that, we want to export that. So what is it? We struggle. We struggle with the passion in life. Is it really worth it? Is it going to cost me maybe too much? Is it really worth me doing? And Paul said, yeah, it, it really is. And it is. And when you experience that, you experience the real joy of the Lord. It's a joyous thing to, receive, to see somebody receive Christ. I'd, I'd seen that several occasions. In fact, um, at this moment when I went out to witness with my pastor Bill Ricketts for the first time, uh, first time us together. I'd, I'd led people to the Lord. But you know, on a one to 10 scale, if 10 is like they're ready to receive right then, you know, just get past all the rhetoric and let me pray. And one being, hey, I'm not interested at all. I have witnessed everybody along that line. But everybody, once they pass about an eight or a nine, hey, they were ready to receive Christ, present the gospel, they received Christ. Those sitting back there on a four or five, three, they're not ready. I just planted seeds and went on. What can you do? You know, you do the best you can, right? We were in the home of a guy. His name was Terry. He's a former football player and owned a business, very successful business. And um, he'd been coming to church with his wife. She received Christ. And so he's coming to church with his wife. We're sitting there talking to him. And the whole time they're talking, he's kind of pushing back a little bit. And respectfully, respectfully. But he's pushing back a little bit. And I'm sitting over there just observing. And what a great job my pastor was doing. But at the same time, I thought, okay, we're going to pray, and, and uh, he's planting seeds, and that's good, because this guy's not ready at all, not even close. He prayed. He says, you can pray along with me, a prayer like I pray uh, with you. And uh, he didn't pray out loud, and so I wasn't surprised. But I was praying for him. I said, God, if there's some way, you know, some way, boy, it'd be wonderful for this guy. I mean, he's just, you know, he's getting closer. Maybe he could but I just didn't really believe it. And so, since he didn't pray out loud, when he said it, my pastor said amen. Brother Bill, as we called him, looked at him and he started, I could tell he was going into this. How, how are you gonna get ready now? What do you need to do? Come back to church to really get ready to receive Christ. And he just interrupted, Terry interrupted him and just said, no, I prayed that prayer with you. He said, you did. And he paused, I remember the look on his eye, he said, yeah, 
I did, and it worked. And we were all kind of taken back. He said, no, really, it, that really worked. I, I know I've, I'm saved now. Jesus come into my heart. I remember almost wanting to jump off off the sofa. You know, I was, a, you know, you're young, man. You're a college student, got a little energy back then, you know. And uh, I was just ready to come up off the sofa and, wow, this is great, you know, and get in the car, jumping up and down. But, you know, I want to be mature. So I said, wow, wasn't that a great witnessing experience? But I'm telling you what, there was joy in my heart. I'd never seen someone to come from this far back, one witness, and receive Christ. There was joy in my heart. I'll never forget that. Never forget that time. You see, there's just joy. There's joy at the end of the story. Sophia Flood died on the mission field. Her daughter, Ina, was adopted by that pastor couple in South Dakota. She went to a Bible college, met a young man, got married. Went to, they were at a missionary conference. And this guy, this African, came and spoke. And he, he talked about the greatness of the mission field, how they needed people on the mission field, and what revival was taking place in their village. And he mentioned the village. And so, knowing the background, Ina came up to the um, uh, native pastor and said, have you ever heard of Sophia Flood? And his eyes got real big. She said, yeah, she's the most famous person in our village. She said, really? He said, yeah, she died, and she was buried there on our property. And I was the only one that she had led to the Lord. It was the teenager that she had led to the Lord, now the pastor in that area. And she said, we were able to lead people to the Lord. I, led, I started a little, a little school and led all the little children to the Lord, and they led their parents to the Lord. I even led the chief to the Lord. And now there are 600 believers there, and this was 50 years ago. The 600 believers there. Ina went and found, found where her dad was, visited him, 73 years old, alcoholic, laying on his deathbed, would be dead in two weeks. And he says, I don't want to hear anything. As soon as you mention God, I don't want to hear anything about God. But I'm sorry I left you. She says, no, you, you don't know the end of the story. And she shared with him what, it, what had happened. 600 believers there, tears came down his cheeks. He rededicated his life to the Lord after wasting all those years. They had a great two weeks together. And later, she, her, she and her husband were able to go to the village once again. What a great celebration for all that village to welcome them back. That little girl that they had witnessed the birth was back so many decades later. And the end of the sermon that day, the pastor read out of Psalm 126, where it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What a joy. One of the most joyous things you'll ever experience is to see someone come to know Jesus. And I, I would challenge you to go back what you're doing if you were here with us a year ago. Go back and say, who's my one? And you say, I don't want to put everything, on, everything in one basket. Maybe who's my three? And I'm praying for these three and praying that I would at least be able to share Christ with one before the end of the year. Wouldn't that be great for you to be involved? You're involved in the harvest if you're involved in ministry, but wouldn't it be great to be involved in reaping the harvest, reaping it? And I pray this to your end.
Now, maybe you've never received Christ into your heart. I want to give you that opportunity right now before we partake of the Lord's Supper. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're that one today and you didn't make peace with God. You need the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And so why don't you pray this prayer with me? You can pray it silently as Terry did that night in his home as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you, Lord, to come in. Forgive me of all my sin. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.